I told my barber, I said, when you have to start doing magic tricks to like make it all look okay, I'm like, let's just wear the same. Now that was loud, just to let you know. That's fine. Oh, I'm cool with that. We can talk about our male pattern baldness. Yeah. (laughs) We're live on Facebook. Perfect. Great. Yeah, that's great. Well, hello, everyone. Don't know how many people will be watching yet. Probably no one, but that's okay. Hello to everyone in the future that will watch this at a later date. As always, my name is Michael Becker. I have the big beard. It's probably going to get trimmed off before Thanksgiving. And I'm joined with my pastor and wonderful boss and friend, Father John Eckert. Hi, everybody. It's so nice to uh, to see the camera and through the camera to be with you. So this is great. Exactly. So this is a slightly different day of recording this than normal. Normally, we are the last Thursday of the month. Next Thursday will be Turkey Day. Happy Thanksgiving. A little bit early to everyone and in the future to whoever is watching this. So we are a little bit a week earlier than normal, but we're super happy to be here. Super happy to talk about paragraphs. 450 to 500 in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And before we dive into that, Father, let's start with a prayer. Let's do it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, as we approach the end of the liturgical year and come on upon another Advent season, we ask you to prepare our hearts to receive the gift of your incarnate Son, to embrace him with all of our hearts, he who opened up his sacred heart, and pours out his mercy and his love upon all of us. We ask you to help us to continue to be ever more and more devoted to him, especially with the help and through the hands of our Blessed Mother, who so faithfully stood near, stood by your son throughout his life, and who continues to guide us ever closer to him. And it is through her intercession that we pray today. Hail Mary. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary. Pray for us. St. Peter and St. Paul. Pray for us. St. Rose Philippine Duchesne. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you again to everyone who is joining us. Um, we are very excited to be here for yet another month, dive into the Catechism on this beautiful fall day. We're so it couldn't be much nicer outside, really and could. we were both stuck inside pretty much all day. Um, I'm hoping to get home and play with my kids a little bit before the sun goes down. It's always so depressing this time of year. You get yeah. home, and the sun's basically gone yeah. by the time you get home. You get here before the sun comes up and leave after it goes down, but thanks be to God. I mean, we're what we're, we're getting to the point of the shortest days of the entire year. I think, mm-hmm. what, November 21st to December 21st will be the shortest, and then another month of that. And then, the, you know, it's just, yeah, we're, we're at that point. It's December 21st, I think, is the shortest day of the year. Is that correct? It's the um, I believe so. something equinox. I forget the name. The I different thought it was the winter April. solstice. Winter solstice. There you go. And then is the equinox. The equinox the, is the, the, March the, mid, and, yeah, the midpoint. October, yeah. That's yeah. right. Good job. The solstice. Well, once again. I just know, got lucky. You're so good. No, I'm glad you did. Um, as we get into this time of year, you know, I love pointing this out. We may have pointed this out when we were back at St. John the Baptist time. You know, the nativity of John the Baptist is June the 24th. That is when the light is at its peak and the light starts to reduce. Just like uh, St. John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. And then when we hit the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ, on December the 25th, that is when the light begins to increase. We totally did mention that back then. I think we year. did. And I, I love it every time, though. I'm happy to talk about it. I'm always so thankful, and this is kind of a weird thing to be thankful for, mm-hmm. that we live in the northern hemisphere rather yeah. than the southern hemisphere. So in, like, the darkest months, we get these celebrations of yeah. Christmas and New Year's. And here in America, we get Thanksgiving. So it's this kind of, 
lightheartedness kind of in this depressing season where when you live in the southern hemisphere, all this, well, they aren't celebrating Thanksgiving, yeah. but they get Christmas and New Year's in the middle of summer, the middle of summer, which is kind of fun to put all the celebrations together. But there's what do you get to look forward to in winter? I don't know. Anyone from the summer, southern hemisphere tuning in, please uh, let us know in the comments below. I mean, I guess because... You know, Easter is typically in April, so it's like you've got the Easter season as things are, like, really dark. Exactly. It's actually getting, but that's still, like, getting yeah, worse right. at that point. Yeah, it's still getting darker, yeah, because it wouldn't be until June 24th, you know, that it starts, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow, that would be tough. It is, it is weird to think about that uh, all the liturgical holidays, they make so much sense in the Northern Hemisphere, mm -hmm. but then you flip it around. And it doesn't make as much sense. Not I'm enough. sure, liturgically speaking, that the priests and bishops down there make it of make sense or talk about how it makes sense. But they also don't have, because this is just not a lot of landmass yeah. south of like the snow line. Because you got the Antarctica and only like, like the very southern tip of Australia and the very southern tip of South America actually are in the snow area. Sure. So their winters just aren't as bad as we experience up here in the Northern Hemisphere because we have places like Canada and Russia. Yeah. So, <laughs> Although I will say is it, uh, so Antarctica, Antarctica, Antarctica is on the Southern, right? And it's, and it's the Arctic on the Northern. Mm -hmm. I love documentaries about those. Mm -hmm. Like that is one of my favorite things to watch. I don't know why, but it just fascinates me with like, you know, in the middle of this, well, in, in the Arctic, in the summertime when it's like the sun doesn't really set. Like, it just kind of, like, comes down on the horizon and goes back up. Yep. I really want to go there and, like, visit at that like, time. Like, the peak of the season oh, and just see the sun. So cool. But then, but you never... So, yeah, it'd be so hard in the winter time. It'd be so hard to sleep, though. I know. When the sun's up the whole day. You know, it's hard to sleep already. Like, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just going. You know, like, it's okay. Like, <laughs> so, you can't sleep in the summer when the sun's always up. And, and how I'm do you stay depressed. awake in the winter it's when there's easy. no sun? I will be honest. Last night, um, I love the 515 Mass. It's wonderful. But, man, I was out of gas. And at the end of the 515 Mass, I knew I had the children's holy half hour, and then we were going to have however long of confessions. I was having to do a little bit of, okay, Lord, let's do this, like, you know, offer it up for the poor souls. Here we go. But it all worked out. It was great. But, man, I was, I was dragging last night. And why was I dragging? Because I just spent a wonderful weekend in Ann Arbor, Michigan, at the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, at their mother house, um, and one of their schools on Joy Road in Ann Arbor, uh, for uh, one of their three discernment retreats a year for young women from, I think, ages 16 to, I want to say, 33. Um, it was amazing. The 120 young women, three of them from our diocese, two of them from our parish. Mm -hmm. I was very happy about that. Um, yeah, just great to be with them. The sisters are so good. Uh, they're, we've got to watch some of their stuff, too, or link to it. They do this thing called, like, Manners Monday with the Virtues Program. Mm -hmm. with, um, I just saw a link for that on Facebook. I thought it yeah. was, was it, is it Ann Arbor? It's Ann Arbor. For some reason, I thought I saw Nashville on it. Maybe the post I saw was the second hand. They got it wrong. I don't know. Could have been. But yeah, it's, it's, it's the sisters in Ann Arbor. Um, Sister um, Peter Dominic and Sister Mercedes are, like, they do the Manners Monday thing. But, like, just those videos for the Disciples in Christ Education, check them out. They're awesome. It was kind of, like, put together by my friend, Sister John Dominic, who's a walking saint. Um, yeah, just... I always come back charged from being up there. It probably gets annoying after a while after I talk about it so much, but it's just the sisters are just so good. And and I've been going up there now since 2012, which is hard to believe it's nine years ago. So girls that were making the retreat when I went there that first time, some of them are final professed sisters now. Mm. And so it's just so cool. And like I got to, you know, it's like it's like shake and bake and I helped. Like I got to be there for part of it. 
and uh, you know, just forming some really good re relationships because they have 160 sisters, um, and I've gotten to know a lot of them. They have a new Mother Superior now, Mother mm -hmm. Amata Veritas, who gave a beautiful talk to the girls. Um, yeah, just always wonderful to, to get to come Mother back Amata Veritas. Amata. Which means mm -hmm. beloved truth. There, and there was a Dominican saint, Amata. Okay. But yeah, Amata Veritas. I, cool? I knew, I got the uh, Veritas, but yeah. I Amata. My, my Latin isn't that great. It's okay, mine isn't that either. Um, but, and then they also have a sister, Maria Veritas. Mm -hmm. And she's the one who got some fame because when she graduated from Harvard, she was the Val Victorian delivered her address to the graduating class in Latin, and then immediately joined the mm, sisters. That's right. I heard yeah. of, you told me about that. Yeah, she's awesome, and I got to see her this weekend, too. And apparently, at one point, Sister Maria Veritas, Sister Amata Veritas, were assigned to the same school. Mm -hmm. And they taught the same sophomore class, like different subjects. One taught, I want to say, biology, and one taught uh, theology. But I guess there was always like a mix-up with this different oh, sister, sure. fill-in-the-blank Veritas. So it was great. And isn't... Wasn't it one of the sisters from there that got a little bit of fame for making the first pitch at I a... No, oh. I think that was somebody else. That okay. was a different Dominican order. Okay. Because every once in a while, I'm scrolling through Facebook, and I get the little uh, sports blips, and there's sure. always a religious sister, and she's popping the ball yeah, off. Yeah, which is really off her cool. her bicep, and, it, yeah, and she threw a great pitch, too, but I'm forgetting what order. I want to say she was a Dominican, I think, like, up in Chicago somewhere? I think. I don't remember for sure. Don't quote me on that one. No, they were... Uh, I mean, they were on Oprah years ago, but then also a group of the sisters, Jeff Foxworthy had like a Bible trivia game show, mm. and three of the sisters had a team on that, and they went all the way to like the championship game, you know, show, mm. and I think they came in second, so they're I had never seen that before. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. I forget what it's called. Like, do you know more about the Bible than a fifth grader or something, you know, like, good old Jeff Foxworthy. It yeah. wasn't, you might be a redneck if, it was uh, something <laughs> else, so. Fun stuff. Yeah, I love, you know, I... You know, it's funny. I was talking with someone who watches our show who said that they like it when we do like our little, what's been going on in the last month? And so it is kind of fun to talk about these things. And I do love talking about the happiest place on earth. Yeah, so the days have been getting shorter and Father went to the happiest place on earth and he likes to rub it in. I do like so to rub it in. So that's really the conclusion we have here, folks. I will say, though, it gets darker earlier up there <laughs> and bet. it's snowed. So it's not because of the weather that it's the happiest place on earth. However, it was. It's the warmth in your heart that exactly. just keeps you going. Not so much the warmth in my heart, but in theirs. So it's good. Well, I just am waiting for Father to say he's so happy to be back at the second happiest place on earth, but he hasn't admitted that yet. So it is Sacred Heart's place. probably up there, top 10, but you know, we're, we're still. Oh, it's definitely in the top 10. 10. It's in my top 10. That's what I'm, I'm hoping. <laughs> I'll put it this way. If it wasn't, I don't know that I'd come back. So I do love it here. It's a we made top place. 10, folks. We're doing great. <laughs> All right. So with that being said, we're going to dive into the catechism. So we ended at 450 last time. 451 to 455 are more or less the in brief from last time. Um, so we're going to dive into more or less four. 56. Thank you. I had a little no brain problem. fart moment there. Um, so we're going continuing through the creed, and we are on Article 3, titled, He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and was born of the Virgin Mary. And we actually get almost through this entire article we do almost, um, yeah. with, with our section of the day. And I will say, you know, it's pretty cool that we're at the point right now, so this Article 3, what Michael just said, you know, he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and was born of the Virgin Mary. That's the point we pray the creed on Sunday that we all bow. And two times a year, we genuflect at those words. Do you know the two? Uh, 
Uh, hold on. You're, you're putting me on the spot. I know here. I am. And that was intentional. Um, annunciation? Yes. In Christmas, good right? Job. Exactly. That's when we kneel down. So that was good. So my I, degree I was it. worth it, actually. Woo-hoo! I didn't learn that in my degree at all. I just learned it from being here. From being here. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's so beautiful. And, you know, that the word became flesh. You know, I'm just going to read paragraph 456. Do it. With the Nicene Creed, we answer by confessing, for us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man. I mean, it's just so beautiful about that, you know, he came down from heaven. I'm right in the middle of a project right now. I'm writing homilies for Homiletic and Pastoral Review, which is a wonderful online journal. Uh, and the editor is my friend, Father David McConey. Uh, so I'm writing the homilies right now for Christmas, which is a little bit stressful at the moment, but it is kind of putting me in that mode. Um, but man, just the fact, you know, the word became flesh, that Jesus became incarnate, that he's with us, uh, you know, to think about that. Like what I love so much about going up to Ann Arbor is just being with the sisters, just being with, um, you know, all these young women who are discerning their, their vocations. I love going out and saying goodbye to the kids at the end of the school day because I like being with them. You know, you just said you want to get home so you can go be with your kids and go outside and play. It's incredible that the way that Jesus Christ, that God has chosen to save us, is to be with us. And there's just something so glory about, glorious about that, that it's not like a magic trick. Um, it's not some you know, like incantation. It's the incarnation. It's him becoming flesh, like really and truly living among us. And that, you know, we, we pray this and bow at this and genuflect at this um, because it really and truly happened in time, you know, of the Virgin Mary, our Blessed Mother, who continues to be with us as well. And this uh, section here, titled, Why Did the Word Become Flesh? So Father read that first paragraph after that question. And then I really like the next couple of paragraphs with, with the headings that they have, right? Yeah. So in 457, the Word became flesh for us in order to save us by reconciling us with God. 458, the Word became flesh so that thus we might know God's love. 459, the Word became flesh to be our model of holiness. 460, the Word became flesh to make us partakers of the divine nature. So it's just it's just so succinct and concise. And you read those just those first lines of each of those paragraphs and you go, wow, isn't that amazing? It's like so this is why the Word became flesh. This is why Jesus became man. And every single one of those has to do with you and with me. To save us by reconciling us with God. Obviously, as we've talked about already, Adam and Eve sinned. Gates of heaven were closed. We were separated from God. We made mankind, made this ultimate offense against our creator. Um, And so we could not save ourselves. We could not reconcile ourselves to God. So God had to send his only begotten son in order to reconcile us for us. Um, And so that's the that first reason why he became man, to save us by reconciling us to God. But then it doesn't end there. Not only does he want to reconcile us, he wants us to have a loving relationship with God so that we might know God's love. How do we know God's love? Well, what better way to know God's love than for God to become man and experience that fully in the flesh, to Mm -hmm. see him, to talk to him, for him to die on the cross for us showing us that love, and obviously the love that he has from his Heavenly Father, sharing that with us, and then the outpouring of the love between the Father and the Son, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Yeah. 
It's so good. And then, yeah, to give us to be our model of holiness, right? So, you know, to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And it's one thing to lay down, you know, a command from on far, you know, like, hey, I, you know, Michael, I want you to be the perfect director of operations. Um, but if I'm just like laying down a command, but not really like entering into it, not saying like, okay, this is the way I want you to be at work, you know, um, our Lord is the perfect model of holiness. Yeah, he asks us to bear our cross, which is not an easy thing. And there are definitely days where I'm like, I don't want to bear my cross. But the beautiful thing, as we have on the painting just right up there, although I don't know if you can see the screenshot. You can not kind of really. see the base. He died on the cross for us. Like, he doesn't just say it from afar and then stay at a distance. He's in this with us as the perfect model of holiness. The one who is the absolute, you know, um, embodiment of perfect virtue. You know, the one who is the gentle shepherd who, you know, guides back the, uh, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. He's also the same one who two chapters earlier in the Gospel of John drives out the money changers from the, uh, you know, from the temple because he doesn't want his father's house to become a den of thieves. I mean, you know, it doesn't mean that he's always like some sort of like a non-speaking wallflower. I mean, he's hard. Love is, a, is a, <laughs> a terrible thing in a way. You know, it's like, man, but... He does it in the perfect way all the time. He is the model of holiness. And then that leads us to the next paragraph, 460, which I think I'm going to read the whole thing if you don't mind. Do it because I love the last line of this paragraph ah, so much. So yes, please read the whole you thing. You got it. The word became flesh to make us partakers of the divine nature. For this is why the word became man. And the son of God became the son of man. So that man, by entering into communion with the word and thus receiving divine sonship, might become a son of God. For the son of God became man so that we might become God. The only begotten son of God, wanting to make us shares in his divinity, assumed our nature so that he made man might make men gods. It's so incredible when you think about that. Like, we're, he didn't just come so that we can go to some eternal Disney world, you know? Like, that's not enough for us. Like, that's not what we're made for. It's not just some sort of, like, comfort and entertainment. He came that we might partake of the divine nature. You know, uh, when I mingle the water and the wine, or the deacon does at Mass, it's, you know, by the mystery of water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share in our humanity. Like, he, God became man so that we might share in his divinity. Um, you know, that, that perfect communion with him that we talked about last time, I think it was paragraph 426, the whole point of catechesis is that so we might be in communion with Christ and then therefore with one another, partakers of the divine nature. Um, I will say this whole idea of what we would call like divinization, like or deification, becoming God. Um, I mentioned him earlier, but my good friend, Father David Vincent McConey, who wrote a book called, um, and it's, it's available, I want to say, through St. Paul's, uh, the St. Paul Biblical Center. From, and I'm reading the book right now. I'm on page 59 of 105. I'm looking at my Kindle. It's called Christ Alive in Me. Um, I'm trying to get to the very front of the book. I'm going to do the go-to. But I highly recommend um, reading it, Christ Alive in Me, Living as a Member of the Mystical Body by Father David Vincent McConey. Because the thing is, when you look at this, it's like, yeah, God became man that man might become God. And it almost sounds too good to be true. Like, I don't think we set our sights high enough, often enough, um, that we're made not just for eternal comfort, because that will never satisfy us. We're made for greatness. 
We are made for the fulfillment of what you know, God wants us to be. And ultimately that comes from bearing our cross and following him all the way to the resurrection. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said we don't aim for enough, right? You know, we get all the time, will my dog be in heaven? Will yeah. this be in heaven? Will that be in heaven? And the, and the answer, and Jimmy Aiken talks about this a lot on Mysterious World, right? Mm-hmm. If you need that to be happy. But the answer really is no. Because you won't need that to be happy. Yeah. The thing that you're going to need to be happy is God and only God. And we will be part of his mystical body. And we are being elevated to that divinity. And so why do we think we need those things? And I think, you know, and, and obviously he created all, saw that it was very good. We know that these things are good. I mean, I, I get kind of a bad rap. I think people think that I hate pets. I don't hate pets. I just, I'm a priest, and I need to be able, like, if you call me in the middle of the night, I need to be able to get to the hospital and not worry about Rover, right? Like, I, you know, I, I have sort of a radical freedom because of my promise of chaste celibacy to be able to do that, and not in that way, but I think pets kind of compromise that because you're tied down when you have a pet. I can't just pick up and go to Ann Arbor for the weekend you know, to go see them. I mean, it's hard enough to get the parish covered. I'm not watching less. your dog. Exactly. I got three kids to exactly. watch. Exactly. And so, and you know, don't, yes, dogs are great. I love going to people's homes and getting to pet the dog. I really do actually kind of like it when I get to play with the pets at the houses. That's fine. And, you know, and God created them good. I used to really get annoyed with the pet blessing. I don't as much anymore because it finally occurred to me, like, look, I bless plenty of things. You know, at least these are like, you know, living and, and active and all over the place. Great. He blessed my car not too long ago. I did. And your car, you know, I mean, there's there's less going on there in some ways than there is with the dog. You know, I mean, and, and hey, don't get me wrong. I like cars. I mean, it's, it's just great. a key. It's exactly. not really that exciting. No, it's a lovely car. And I was happy I got the blessing. I want you guys to be safe, just like Philip riding in the carriage, as the blessing alludes to. Um, but... Yeah, it's like we're, we're made to be so much more than just comfortable animals, right? Like Fido is content when he's got his meal in his comfortable bed. He's done. Like, hey, life is good. We're not content. Like, okay, you eat a nice big dinner, you got your comfortable bed, you're still not satisfied. You want more because you were made to love and to love the way that they love in heaven in a complete self-sacrificing, laying your total life down. Is that easy? No. And that's why we have the model of holiness, Jesus Christ himself, who is capable of laying down his whole life. And I know we're going to get there in a second where it's going, oh, there it is, 461. Go for it. Quotes Philippians 2. And this, I think it's just 6 to 8 here. Um, yes, that is correct. Mm-hmm. Um, had this mind, this is St. Paul writing to the Philippians, and this is quoted in paragraph 461. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And of course, then it goes through like the highly exalted part after that on 9 through 11. But you know, when you think about that, that you know, Jesus Christ completely emptied himself for our sake to the very point that even beyond his death, you know, the soldier opened up his side with a lance and he poured out the rest of his blood to the point that there was just water left, right? And I think he told St. Catherine of Siena in a vision that he, she asked him, like, why did you have that happen? He said, I wanted to show you that my love extends even beyond, like, my, my biological life. Like, even in death, he continues to pour out his love for us. Like, he loves us that much. And it's, you know, when you think about it, he's like us in all things but sin. What is sin? Like, it's our turning in on ourselves. He never does that. 
So then when you think about the Immaculate Conception of Mary, she's been kept free from that turning in on herself. And as Mother Amata Veritas put it at the uh, retreat, she said, the thing is, like, we tend to, like, show up kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll help with a little bit of me. But, like, we hold back for ourselves, right? Mary, who's without sin, is like, I'm here. Use me in whatever way you want. You know, because she's, like, she's not afraid. She has no sin. She's totally ready to say, behold, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy word. Like, she totally trusts in God. And in our sinfulness, our fallenness, we just, you know, we hold back. We got to, you know, it's like self, self-protection. Without sin, we open ourselves up completely. And so what does that say? Okay, does that mean life is easy? But we're not just made for easy, we're made for great, you know? Um, I love the line in uh, the movie A League of Their Own. Tom Hanks is talking to uh, Gina, I can't remember her last name. Another movie you're talking about? I don't know either. And, but and, it's such a good movie. It is such a good movie. And, and she's quitting baseball. She can't quit baseball. She goes, it just got too hard. And he goes, it's the hard that makes it great. And it's true, right? Like, we know this in our bones. It is the hard that makes it great. When we embrace our cross and we keep going, it is great. When we, like, give up and just sit in front of the TV and just eat Twinkies, okay, it's comfortable for a while, and sometimes we need a little bit of a down day. But a down day, not a down rest of your life. And that's not what heaven is going to be. Heaven is going to be union with God or partaking in the divine nature. And that is incredible. And that was a great movie to quote. I love that movie. If you haven't seen that movie, highly suggest it. Man, we went from, uh, usually it's like Jurassic Park. We switch over to A League of Their Own. Father Rossi would be really happy about that. He loves that movie. Oh, nice. (laughs) So once we get, so we talked about the incarnation, kind of like what Father talked about by reading um, Philippians. Big thing I wanted to point out in 463. Belief in true incarnation of the Son of God is the distinctive sign of the Christian faith. This is what it means to be Christian, right? Mm -hmm. To believe that Jesus Christ through the incarnation, became man. And thus, by God becoming man, everything that he said, accounted in Scripture, is true in the Word of God that we take on and we are trying to follow today um, in our own lives. So that is what it means to be Christian. Um, And I know there's some interesting things with some other religious denominations. Well, what if you kind of drop the Holy Spirit and other little things? But we'll focus on Christ for today. That sounds good. And then in 464, through quite a few paragraphs, it's really cool there. So the catechisms talk about true God and true man. What does it mean for Jesus to be true God and true man? And each one of these paragraphs, they essentially bring up a heresy mm-hmm. that happened in time. And they talk about the council that counteracted that heresy to help define the Catholic position. And actually, we sort of did this yeah. last month not knowing that it was coming in the next 50 paragraphs. We don't, we don't usually look ahead. Well, in fact, I read this mostly last night and some this morning. When did you read it this time? Uh, at 1 o'clock today. Yeah, so that's the thing. We're not always way ahead on this stuff, but you know what? We are very excited about it. And I don't remember if I referenced this last time. I keep grabbing my phone, and I apologize, but it's all for you. Um, there is a really good talk on the Thomistic Institute's uh, podcast page. Okay, We can probably put a link to this. Mm-hmm. The priest... Oh, wait. The priest is a mediator of union with God. The talk was by Father Philip Neary Reese of the Dominican Order. Um, and I think this came out back in October. October the 8th is when it came up. He give, and it's, he does this beautiful job where he talks about the, um, the heresies against you know, the true nature of Christ. Arianism, Gnosticism, Nestorianism, and Monophysitism. Um, and basically, it's like it's getting this wrong. So what we have to get down to, and we can, re- I'll leave it up to you if we read through the paragraphs or not. 
But basically, no, you're, I mean, if you sum it up, which sounds like you're doing that's anyways, what I'm going to try to do. Fantastic. And if, if, if I say something wrong, just correct me. Because this is the thing. Like, as little as one letter can mess this up. But when you get I'm right gonna, down to it. I'm going to study this and be ready. Jesus is one person with two natures. Mm -hmm. Okay? Um, so Jesus Christ, our Lord, one person, two natures. What are those two natures? Human and divine. He is fully human. He is fully divine. Now, monophysitism is the one that I had the, the hardest time with for a long time. The trouble with them is they basically said, okay, one person, but one nature. And they kind of like took his human and divine nature and like shook him up like a cocktail that sort of all blended together. And, it, and I remember I was like, what's the problem with that? Well, then all of a sudden it's like he's not fully human and fully divine anymore. He's like a new thing. And that's not what he is. He's fully human and fully divine. If you're going, well, Father, I don't completely get it. Okay, because it took the church a long time to articulate all of this, right? Yeah, that looks like Chalcedon in 451. Chalcedon. Yep, exactly. So, I mean, it's over years and years. And even one of the councils in Ephesus, and that's going to like link us up to the next thing we, when we get to, to Mary, where they declare her to be Theotokos, Theotokos the mother of God. Um, that declaration tells us about Jesus. You know, and the fact that she is the mother of God, not the mother of a really good guy that God adopted and like, you know, oh, I'm going to lift you up to a higher level. No, I mean, he always, you know, was one person, two natures, divine, human, fully human, fully divine. I love it in G.K. Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy. He talks about the fact that in the Catholic Church, we love white and we love red. At the full force next to each other, we have a very healthy hatred of pink. And I, I always like that. <laughs> I always thought it was black and white, we hate gray, but no, 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 he said white and red and we hate pink. Um, you know, because it's like both of them at the same time being held together. And you'll hear people talk about the Catholic principle of both and. Um, and yes, is that kind of a mystery? How do you hold those two together at the same time? Well, we do. And we point to Christ who is fully human and fully divine. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if he didn't become fully human, he didn't fully save us. If he, didn't, if he wasn't still fully divine, he wasn't capable of saving us. Um, those two have to be held together at the fullest. And this is where you see the Holy Spirit guiding the church, you know, through those early centuries to articulate what it means, uh, what the incarnation means. Because it wasn't like, you know, St. Peter is like, you know, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. And uh, Nestorianism is wrong. Like he didn't, you know, he wasn't articulating everything yet. But like we could see, you know, as, as everything is sort of coming into focus, everything about Christ. And if you want to study up on these different things, these paragraphs, 464 to 469, are really going to tell you a lot. And for some reason last night, I remember saying, man, I love 468. Do you mind if I read that real quick? Go I think I loved it last night and I don't remember why. So I'm going to read out loud and I hope it jogs my memory. After the Council of Chalcedon, some made of Christ's human nature a kind of personal subject. Against them, in the Fifth Ecumenical Council of Constantinople in 553, so we're talking about many years here, this is 520 years after Christ died, uh, in Constantinople 553, confess that there is but one hypostasis, or person, which is our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the Trinity. Thus everything in Christ's human nature is to be attributed to his divine person as its proper subject, not only his miracles, but also his sufferings and even his death. He who was crucified in the flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, is true God, Lord of glory, and one of the Holy Trinity. I remember now. I love that fact. You know, it's like, okay, we talk about him as, you know, the miracle worker. And I mean, 
you think about good on your toes, um, read um, Mark chapter 12 where the Herodians are like, oh, you're so good. You know all this stuff. You're amazing. Is it okay to pay the temple tax? You know, and, and basically it's like they knew they had him, right? Because that's a tough issue. I mean, if he says, yeah, go ahead and pay it, the people are very, you know, loyal to the house of Israel. You know, like they're, they're not wanting these Roman oppressors. You're going to be like, he's a sellout. But at the same time, he's like, no, 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 don't pay the temple tax. The Romans are going to step in and be like, okay, you insurrectionists, you know, enough of you. But his answer of, okay, bring me a, I think it's a drachma, I think is what St. Mark says in the gospel. You know, and he says, whose image is upon it? Um, or whose, whose likeness is this? When you think about that, we're made in the image and likeness of God, right? Whose image and likeness is this made of? Oh, it's Caesar. Then render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God. I mean, he, told, you know, it's not like, hey guys, give me a few minutes to think about this. Okay, apostles, let's huddle. No. I mean, he's, he's the incarnate word of God. He's, he's brilliant. Like, he, he can do all these things. He can cure miracles. But he also suffers you know, in that nature, like, that he goes through those things, that he does, yes, what in some way, like, he does what's natural with supernatural love, and then gives us the ability to do the same thing by pouring out his grace upon us. And I just, I found that really fascinating, because I know we're probably not out there working all kinds of miracles, right? But I got to tell you, like, when I get to be a part of, like, some reconciliation, like, I had someone say sorry to me the other day for something from a while back. I almost was moved to tears because, I mean, that is a healing and an incredible aspect. Okay, is it a kind of a natural miracle? Yes, but I feel like it's more than that because I think if our society right now teaches us anything, it's like forgiveness is impossible. I mean, it's just like hold on to grudges and hate each other and let's fight the other side. Christ came to do so much more than that, and he, and he, he reconciles us by his suffering. And I think that just like knocked my socks off last night. It's not just the miracles, and it's also his suffering. Yeah, that suffering is what, that's a human experience. Yeah. And you have to suffer to, with that human nature. And just a kind of a definition, theological term. So the hypostatic union is what, mm -hmm. we, what we would say in re reference to Jesus being fully God, fully man, uniting together. Mm -hmm. um, hypostatic union. So you kind of got a hint of that in that paragraph when you said hypostasis. the hypostasis, um, one person, right? Uh, two natures in that one person of Jesus Christ. But yeah, that, that suffering is so important for us to recognize and how can we, and we see us suffering every single day, mm -hmm. but how can we suffer in a way just like this gentleman or whomever said sorry mm -hmm. to you? I mean, that isn't easy. That is a suffering, but that's a almost a, a choice of suffering. I'm going to go out of my way to say sorry, to do this uncomfortable thing, to do this not easy thing, and I'm going to suffer, but going to use that very intentionally. Sometimes, and most of the time, suffering is kind of forced upon us. Mm. We don't, we're, we're kind of out of control when it comes to suffering. But what about that suffering and that discomfort that we can choose? Because while Jesus' crucifixion and death was kind of forced upon him, he's God. Yeah. He allowed it to happen. We don't have that experience. We can't say, uh, excuse me. You're not going to hit me. I'm God, and I'm going to prevent you from doing that through my supernatural powers. But Jesus had that opportunity, and he had that ability. He even said, I could call down legions oh, yeah. of angels if I desired, and he didn't. So it was that free suffering, that truly free suffering, that we can also experience, too, in many ways as well. And the Gospel of John really does a beautiful job of holding all that together because he says, like, no one takes the life of the Son of Man from him. The Son of Man freely lays his life down. 
And when he's in the garden, you know, and they ask, you know, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am. And they all turn and fall down. And Mel Gibson gets that in the Passion. Like, they all fall down. And it's almost like this brief recognition of, I am. Like, I am God. And then, of course, then right after that, then they arrest him. But it's almost like this sort of nod, like, I don't have to go through this, but not my will, but yours, your will be done, Heavenly Father. Um, the fact that he does all that for us, like, you know, it, it's just such an incredible mystery. And you just, you can't help but love our Lord more and more the more you reflect on the fact that he didn't come here and just have an easy time of it, right? Like, he goes through the difficulties, um, you know, we all like to kind of like avoid difficulties where we can. I mean, I like things to be convenient. Um, yesterday, I was going to run and grab a quick lunch. Normally, I like to grab something at Food Lions. Like, I don't want to get out of my car. So I called it into Jimmy John's. So I could just like, you know, I had it in ahead of time. to get. It was convenient, you know. Like, I didn't want to get out. Like, which is, you know, it's a stupid little thing. But, you know, we all go through it. Like, we want it. We don't want to be inconvenienced. Um, but you know, beyond just being inconvenienced, like our Lord entered into the depths of human suffering by a free choice, you know, to redeem us out of that and make us partakers in the divine nature. And he did so much of that when he became human, right? Mm -hmm. In 471 and kind of forward, it also talks about the fact that he took on a rational human soul, mm -hmm. right? And that he limited himself to human knowledge, yeah. right? So not only did he take on flesh becoming man, but he allowed himself, right? I, I always think of, uh, we just watched Aladdin with the kids the other day, so like phenomenal cosmic yeah. power, right? He took that phenomenal cosmic power and exactly yeah. <laughs> and gave it all light to literally be yeah. teeny living space as a single cell organism in his mother's womb, yeah. right? And so he took on that fullness of humanity. And what you, we, you know, we hear this all the time, like it's in all things but sin. Yeah. But when you start taking that rationale of, well, wait a second, did he have this? Did yeah. he get sick? Did he have irregular bowel movements? Like all those things that happen with man that are kind of like yeah. disgusting. It's like, no, that, that was Jesus too. He had all these same problems. He had to learn like we have to learn. He had to experience the world like we have to experience the world. He was born in a, a manger that we're going to be celebrating here in Christmas in not too long. Exactly. I mean, he, and honestly, he had a, it wasn't, I imagine, a great time to be alive either. I always, you know, I lay down in bed a lot and I go, man, how many times would I have died if we didn't have modern <laughs> medicine? It's like, true. would I have made it to 30 years old if I lived, you know, 500,000 years ago? And the answer is probably, nah, probably not. I'm not tough enough. Oh my goodness. And it's like, man. Living at that time period, like, I know there's a lot of rationale by why Jesus came at that time period in the Romans and the, and the predictions and stuff, but, whew, that just shows, like, it was just a rough time to be alive, mm -hmm. let alone be God becoming man, living in that time period, and dying on the cross. Yeah. I mean, we don't do crucifixions anymore, thanks be to God. Yeah, um, yeah. We, yeah we're not supposed to have cruel and unusual punishments, and I would say crucifixion pretty cruel and unusual it's up there so it sure is like just the that time period so taking on all of this human stuff it, it's it's a lot when you start adding it all up and i was just going to say just as sort of like a scriptural um backing to what michael was just saying about you know the difficulties that they would have that they had to go through 
I'm just going to read for you just like the conclusion of uh, Luke's account of the fifth joyful mystery, the finding of Jesus in the temple. So I'm picking up at Luke 2, um, verses 48, when Joseph and Mary have found the child Jesus. and says this, And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been looking for you anxiously. So with anxiety. Um, so it's not as though, you know, the perfect holy family was just, oh, everything was easy, there's no anxiety. Anxiously, with anxiety. And he said to them, how is it you sought me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying which he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So he increased which means that there was a period in his earthly life when he had less, and it increased with time. Um, the fact that, yeah, he, he humbly entered into that, becoming like us, as Michael said, in all things but sin. Um, and there's some scriptural reference for you right there, um, you know, about the increasing, about the continuing on. You know, what did he know when and how the, okay, I don't know. I mean, the, you know, there's speculative this and that, but the fact of the matter is, the Son of God, the second person of the Most Holy Trinity, humbled himself and became one of us. He has a human nature. and He has a divine nature. Um, and yeah, I mean, just to be with us, like how deep that can go as you meditate on what that truly means. And I always appreciate the fact that, you know, he was also known as a carpenter. Yeah. I mean, carpenters in that time period were amazing. Yeah. I mean... We have these modern technology and modern tools, plug it in, and like, oh, look at this, I can cut a board. But like, to be a carpenter at that time period, like, that was not an easy and job no, to do no offense to, do to Eric Lawler or other carpenters, because I mean, hey, you know, you could be an amazing master carpenter now, but it is funny, like, the things that we lose as different technologies come yeah. about, you know? Um, there's, there's this, you see this meme every once in a while of Joseph, and he's like, literally like Arnold Schwarzenegger jacked, and they call him Broseph. Have you ever seen that <laughs> picture before? Not, There's a statue right. of Joseph that looks huge. But it's like, you're trying yeah. to interpret like what a carpenter who was using their muscles and their, yeah. you know, their handheld tools, like, that's, that's a lot. It is a lot. And I'm sure that that helped him a lot with his journeying across, uh, you know, Israel and all over the place when he was walking up and down almost the entire country. Yeah. Good thing he probably was a fit, per, fairly fit individual. Oh my goodness, he would have to be. And it's just, yeah. To think about our Lord in that way, it's just, yeah, it's so good. And so we kind of talked about it already, and so we don't have to go into it too much, but, you know, Christ had a human will, mm -hmm. right, has a human body, and then it talks about the heart of the incarnate word, right, that God came loving us, right, gave himself for us, so kind of that mission, what was at the core of why Jesus became man. Um so those are beautiful, but we've kind of summed it up as mm -hmm. we've continued to talk about Jesus becoming man. We'll just and say 478 does mention the sacred heart of Jesus. And I just feel yes, like I should that's right. point that out just since we are where we are. I read it and I loved it and then I didn't underline it. So I It's okay. Went right no, past I get, it. For some reason I knew last time I'm like, I gotta talk about 468. I knew there was something that I just Well maybe it was 478 and you just got it. That could have been. You're right. Or just both. Or just both. Or all. It is it is a good both and good section. You know, as we, we talked about already. Yeah. So now we're into talking about Mary. So we, and I love how we go from Jesus, you know, incarnate, incarnate word of God mm -hmm. to Mary, because we see Jesus, the hypostatic union, fully God, fully man, 
But then who's that next most important figure in the entire church and the entire history of mankind? Our blessed mother. Our blessed mother. And the connection there is so important and so beautiful that obviously, well, it's a connection very corporeal as well with Jesus becoming man within Mary's womb, but also a connection very spiritually as well with, you know, totus tuus, everything through the hands of our mother to Jesus. So it's beautiful that we get to dive right into Mary and how that conception actually happened. So we get conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So something that we have to understand and we have to hold within the Catholic Church is that Mary did not know a man, right? She did not have any relations with a man. And she even recognizes this, right? The mm -hmm. angel Gabriel says, you shall bear a son. She goes, um, I'm a little confused. How is this going to work again? You know? And just remember, too, you know, uh, just a little bit earlier in Luke, you know, Zechariah has an encounter with Gabriel in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And, you know, he, Gabriel lets him know that, you know, his wife is going to conceive in her old age and have St. John the Baptist. And he doesn't believe it. But the thing is with that, it's like, um, you guys are married. Like, this is possible. You're you know? doing nothing, that thing yeah, that, you know, Nothing will be from. impossible for God. Like, why are you doubting this? And so that's why with Zachariah, you know, he goes mute for a while. Um, whereas with our Blessed Mother, I mean, it's a reasonable thing to ask. Like, how can this be? I, I don't know a man. Um, now, granted, you know, it's one of those things where it caused some of the fathers to speculate, did Mary make a vow of virginity? You know, like, like already, like a special consecration of our Lord. Even though she was betrothed to Joseph, like were they going to have like a special celibate marriage? Because, you know, it could have been like well in the future. And, but no, like how can this be? Um, you know, because she's already totally dedicated to God. Like that's just, you know, some fathers of the church speculation. But it is an interesting thing to think about, which I think also places St. Joseph's reaction in context that much more when, you know, he wants to quietly divorce her. Because I've heard, and I really like this, that it wasn't because he thought Mary was unfaithful. It's because he thought, how could I be worthy to be with the mother of God? Like, I'm going to quietly divorce her and stay away just out of humility. Um, now, granted, it doesn't explicitly say that in the Gospel of Matthew, but I think that's a pretty decent reading. I kind of like that one. Yeah, and I always, and I always had the question in my head of, you know, St. Joseph was going to quietly divorce her. And that would make more sense because, hello, that's a simple conversation. of um, So, Mary, um, yeah. so can you explain what's going on to me? And all she has to say is, oh, Angel Gabriel appeared yeah. to me, and this is the Son of God. Obviously, he's going to believe her. Mm -hmm. um, and considering the fact that she was conceived without sin, who she is, like, I just don't think that he's thinking, like, oh, she's out there cheating on me. Like, no, like, you know, she... She had to have been, you know, this wonderful just image of goodness. And you had to, right? yeah, you had to recognize that. Because yeah. you, you were conceived without sin and have have no sin. Yeah. And, I mean, everyone I've met, I could pick out sins. Sorry, yeah. Father, including no, yourself. No, absolutely. But, like, what would it even be like to meet somebody? They're like, has that person ever yeah. sinned? Completely like, given over to God. And it's just the thing, too. Like, I think we think that we would be, like, uncomfortable and all that. I think we would find such greater peace and comfort in that person's presence because they would be absolutely humble, you know, and humble people are focused on the other. Yeah. You know, like, I think, you know, like, she's going to be focused on you. Now, think about this. And the joy and the love that I that know. kind of person would have. And look at her right after the Annunciation. What does she do? She sets out in haste to the hill country to go, you know, serve her cousin Elizabeth. 
who then, you know, reacts like she exclaims with great joy. You know, as Mary comes up, how can this happen, or how does this happen to me? That the mother of my God should come to visit me. And the moment that your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leaped for joy. You know, it's like just being in the presence of that would be just like a, I don't know, like helping you to feel fulfilled in your own vocation. You know, it's just, man, the Blessed Mother is so good. And I will say this, because I know sometimes you're like, well, you're starting to focus on Mary. You're moving away from Jesus. Go to paragraph 487. What the Catholic faith believes about Mary is based on what it believes about Christ. And what it teaches about Mary illumines in turn its faith in Christ. Everything about Mary points back to her son. Now behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Not, sweet, this is awesome, I'm great now. Like, no. She even says at one point, you know, when, when Elizabeth says all those great things, she, what does Mary say? My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. You know, he has done great things for me and holy is his name. It immediately turns on to a glorification of God and the love and the service of others. You know, he's lifted up the lowly. You know, he's cast down the mighty from their thrones. Like, God has come to set things right. I always like to quote the show, or the intro to the show, Quantum Leap. He's come to set right what once went wrong. You know, like, it's so, and the way he does it is, like, getting into all of this with us through the love and the openness of our Blessed Mother. And what better way to do it than through the glory of, like, the ultimate tabernacle that is the human family. You know, and there's St. Joseph, you know, and, and, okay, you know, he's not divine like his, you know, like his son. He's not immaculately conceived like his wife, but he is the one that God chose to be with them. And how beautiful that is and what humility that must have taken. So much humility that look up everything that St. Joseph has ever said in, in the Gospels. That's right, he didn't say anything. He just keeps doing what he's told. And, uh, yeah, it's just such a beautiful thing to think about that, and like the way that he is with the two of them. And once again, like Mary and by extension St. Joseph, anything we teach about them is always pointing back to Christ. Mary and our Lord are not in competition with each other. Her soul magnifies the greatness of the Lord. So as we talk about the Immaculate Conception, for example, like it's all about understanding our Lord and his great love. I heard a great um, homily this past summer that's from Father Rocky Hoffman, who um, is one of the main guys from Relevant Radio. It was on that retreat I got to take up in West Virginia. And he said one of the most memorable homilies he ever heard was a priest asked the question, is it possible to love the Blessed Mother too much? And he said, yeah. He said, if you love her more than her, love her more than her son does. And he goes, but remember what her son has done for her. She was immaculately conceived. She was assumed into heaven, body, and soul. You know, he, he gave her to us. Like, all of these, she, he crowned her queen of heaven and earth. If you can love her more than that, then yeah, it's probably too much. But that's really good because Jesus does all these things for Mary. And I mean, you know, I love my mom. I'm grateful because she volunteers here in the office. And when people say nice things about my mom, you know, it's not like, my, I wish you'd know it's about me. Now, maybe I would because of my sinfulness. But I'm not like that. I mean, I'm grateful. Like, I love her. I'm like, yeah, shower praise upon her. She's awesome. Um, you know, because it's this true loving. There's no sin there. It's this mutual relationship of, you know, the two of them, like, reflecting love onto each other. And it's, it's awesome. And that pours out onto us. And I, I always think about St. Joseph because, you know, you always say, like, in a marriage, you've got two sinful fallen human beings. And so, you know, there's some quarreling that goes on in there, trying to figure out kind of who's at fault in certain circumstances. For the priesthood, it's, hey, 
I'm married to the church, right? It's going to be me. It's my perfect spouse. But think about when Joseph comes home from working in the carpentry shop. And he comes home. He's like, hey, who did this thing? Oh, I guess, yeah. Here's Son me. of God, Mary. Oh, I guess it was me. So it's like the, it's like your, in some ways, your vocation, but in the family atmosphere. And I've, I've always kind of thought on that and meditated on that. Like, man, that would be. Now, Joseph probably had enough humility and enough love where he just fit right in. I, yeah. I think I've heard some people argue that maybe even Joseph was sinless. I've heard people I've heard spat people that around. That, but the church has never declared We've never that. They've never declared that. So, but Pope, Pope Francis hasn't like given indications he's going to declare that at the end of the year. He had Joseph. to be pretty close. Oh, of course he did. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially when you consider the fact that, like, God is choosing this ahead of time, you know. Speaking he must have been a pretty nice guy if Mary was willing to hang out with him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, and that's and you know, it, once again, it's like I, because I think it's easy in our fallenness to think, oh, being with these two perfect people would be so hard. I don't think so because, like, being with someone who is truly perfect, it's not the image of perfection. It's not someone who uses religion like a club over you, right? Um, because that's horrible, and I, I hate it. Like people who are fake religious. Um, and, you know, and I think that sometimes can be like the, the fear as a priest. Like, how do I speak up? I don't want people to think I'm fake about this. Because I am fallen. I do have my sins. But they don't. And so I can only think that he would always, like, feel motivated by them, comforted by them to keep getting better if he did have his own sins. You know, because it's like the person who is, like, is able to say the perfect thing to keep moving you on. You know, it's like I like to say about the St. Jose Maria Escriva uh, principle. He's the best at patting you in the back and kicking you in the butt all at the same time. I think our Lord and Our Lady are the same way to the fullest. And St. Joseph being, you know, her most chaste spouse, you know, foster father of Christ, he's always going to be soothed and encouraged and moved on by them in whatever way he needs. So it's not going to be like, oh, I have to go back in with that. Like, it wouldn't be annoying. It would be glorifying and uplifting, I think. Um, even if he falls, you know, it's like I... I think that's why I love going to Ann Arbor so much. Not that it's like 160 saints up there. I know that. They're falling too. Um, but they're striving to live it. And it's like, I feel like seeing these religious sisters who are striving to live their life so well only encourages me to live my life to the fullest, you know? And so it's like, as everybody's focused on the same thing and striving, um, it can only just keep getting better and better. Yeah, and that's probably very much what heaven is like. Oh my gosh. The just yeah. joys of heaven of... Everyone, everyone's perfect. Mm -hmm. You're perfect. And you could just revel in that glory of perfection and not have to worry about the day-to-day -day things that we worry about. I mean, and what great way for the family to reflect the Trinity and can be heaven on earth if mm -hmm. we find that ability to have joy and love with one another and not quarrel and quibble over different things, but find that peace and that love with one another and how beautiful the family is and how much, you know, I always think too, like, well, great. How am I supposed to take the Holy Family as an example? You had a perfect son. You had a perfect wife. And Joseph probably near perfect. Like, um, hello? Like, how do I get my family even remotely close to that? And I don't think that's the goal, right? Jesus didn't say, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's like, oh, but if you're not, thanks for you, yeah. right? So there is that goal, but we can always... We can always be striving for that, mm -hmm. even though we know we're not going to reach it. And we need to keep striving to reach it in this life. You know, it's like, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. 
But at the same time, don't, keep, don't stop striving to climb the mountain because we can always be better. And that's not like, a, oh, I should be doing this. I like to say in confession when people are like, I need to pray more. I'm like, okay, wait, stop a second. Like, what are you doing now? Okay. And what is your actual goal? And let's say you're doing nothing. I would say, like, okay, start with 10 minutes a day, right? And after two weeks of that, being faithful to that, reassess. Like, oh my gosh, going from zero to 10 minutes was way too much. Okay, five minutes a day and stick with it for two weeks. And, and then, okay, you know, I'm doing okay. I can go a little bit more, go a little bit more. But then you're not perpetually saying like, I should do more. I should do more. Because then you're never going to live up to it. Don't should yourself to death. But give yourself a constant goal and keep striving to climb the mountain. Um, because that's, uh, what's the line? I think it's at the end of uh, The Last Battle in C.S. Lewis. I think they talk about like further up and further mm-hmm. in. Like it's, it's, it's like, you know, the never-ending glories and joys of moving deeper and deeper into the infinite love of God. Um, you know, because in some ways it's like, you know, our eternal destiny needs to be something big enough to fill us up. And the things that we can conquer, even if it's like, okay, here's Michael Phelps. He's got like the most gold medals of all time in swimming. And now he's done with that. Like, he's too old to keep swimming. There's nothing against Michael Phelps. I'm older than he is, and I'm much more out of shape, right? Um, but the thing is, is, like, he can't keep swimming forever. Swimming is not going to satisfy him forever. Um, any sport, any challenge, anything else is like that. But the love of God and growing in holiness, he'll just be further up and further in and further understanding the love and the, the excitement and the joy. And I'm grateful that we kind of, like, moved, I feel like, talking about heaven in this mm-hmm. because it's, like, it's so appropriate because it's in the midst of the incarnation. It's God became man that we might become God. And that begins right now as we go to him and receive him in the Eucharist. What do we have to do to go to receive Eucharist? We got to prepare ourselves. That's why we have the penitential right. That's why we have confession. That's why I'm kind of a little bit mind boggled by the fact that it's like, why is it so controversial that the bishops are saying, you got to live up to a certain level to like make yourself presentable to go up there and receive the greatest gift? Like, yeah, I get it. It's, it's not a, a prize for the privileged few. Of course not. Nobody actually teaches that. But what it is, is it's a goal of communion and unity with the living God who gives us himself in the Eucharist. And to pretend that, like, I'm already there. I deserve this. Baloney. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Nobody deserves it. That's so why, objectively, we got to keep striving to let go of our garbage and moving further up and further in into the love of God, which isn't just in some distant reality in heaven, it's right now. And the Son of God became man, became flesh of the Virgin Mary, you know. And how did that happen? By the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. Where is that word overshadowing before? It's what God does over the Ark of the Covenant in the desert. He does the same thing with her, except now he is present, fully human and fully divine, as the incarnate Son of God. And with our union and communion with him, we begin to grow into the experience of heaven even here and now. And we're out of time, but we got a couple more paragraphs to go. But I really like what you said, and that kind of helped me. I mean, I'm growing in my spiritual life right now as we're talking, which is fantastic because Woo-hoo. the you know the perfection that you know I was saying, yeah, it's not reachable on earth, but that's a limited human perspective. Yeah, it is reachable in heaven. Exactly. So ultimately, we should be going up and further in in this life until we die, and then we just go step, and you're in heaven. And perfect. And so we need to be as close as humanly possible to heaven on earth. So when we do die, we can go to heaven. We're already on the doorstep. Yeah. So if we're living as a perfect family or as perfect as we can, the better we're, because what is purgatory? It's perfecting us to be ready for heaven. But if we could be as perfect as we can on earth, 
there's a little less work to do later on. Yeah, and there, yes, there's suffering in this life, and it's like it stretches us more and more, and that makes our capacity for love grow here and now. I mean, when we accept and embrace the cross, when we die to ourselves, like there is more room in our hearts for more and more love. And so to continue to grow in that here and now, which the Son of God makes possible, he has come to be the model of holiness to make us partakers in the divine nature, he has given us a, 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 like the perfect example in our Blessed Mother. And the things we learn about him point us right back to Christ. He's right there with us, giving us himself in the Blessed Sacrament. He gives us his Blessed Mother, who keeps appearing to us and telling us, pray the rosary every day, hold on to this chain. It links you up to heaven. Like all these good things, and we just keep like, yeah, going further up and further in in this life, and they be there forever in the life to come. It's awesome. Fantastic. All right, we got to talk about the Immaculate Conception. Divine motherhood, perpetual virginity, and we could do that all in like five minutes, right? Yeah, we've already um, kind of talked about some of them. We kind of have. I like, I want to hit on the Immaculate Conception real quick. Please do. I know just from teaching RCIA, mm -hmm. this is always can be a little sticking point. And I really love 490, and I'm just going to read all of 490. Please do. To become the mother of the Savior, Mary was enriched by God with gifts appropriate to such a role. So right off the bat, this isn't about Mary being prepared to receive the Son of God. This is a... Because you are going to receive the Son of God, there's graces from Jesus that are flowing out on you. This is a gift that we are giving you, not that you need this to be Son of God, but because you're going to be the mother of God, it just makes perfect sense that this is a gift that you're going to have to, that's appropriate to this role. The angel Gabriel, at the moment of the Annunciation, salutes her as full of grace. In fact, in order for Mary to be able to give the free assent of her faith to the announcement of her vocation, it was necessary that she be wholly born by God's grace. And I think this is, I think this sums it up so well that, that, and this is the main point in the scripture that we understand the Immaculate Conception, this full of grace. And I always try to explain that what is grace? Grace is the outpouring of God on us so that we can grow in virtue and holiness, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's actual grace and sanctifying grace. Actual grace helps us in our day-to-day -day activities just to live a good virtuous life. Sanctifying grace is what we receive in the sacraments in order to prepare ourselves to be united with God in heaven. But what happens if you are full of grace? If God gave you so much grace that you could not receive any more, you are full. Well, that means you're perfect. Like, that's a very easy conclusion. If you had all the grace humanly possible, equals perfection. And so Mary being full of grace, meaning she can receive no more grace, means that there is a perfection in her, hence immaculate conception, not being conceived with original sin, because original sin would preclude us from receiving grace. Mm -hmm. And so it's, to me, I know it's my, you know, cradle Catholic mindset hearing this for 30 years, but it just, it makes sense. No, you just do the sense. little logic. I'm sure there's some sort of little logical progression that I took logic at some point in That's high school great. and... I'm sure there is one that talks about that we could use in here, but I think that's just so beautiful. And that is the main scriptural passage that we're taking. There's three words, full of grace, to help us emphasize the Immaculate Conception. And just for those keeping track at home, that's uh, from the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, uh, verse 28. So you see that. I mean, that, that, is, that is a special title from the angel Gabriel to our Blessed Mother. Remember, like God gives us the grace we need to live out the vocation he has given us to be the mother of God. And this is the thing, remember, it's no easy task. It's not like, okay, and you're going to sit on this cushion forever and eat bonbons. Like, no. I mean, there's going to be some, some incredible difficulties, right? I mean, 
going you know, on the trip to Bethlehem when she's so pregnant, um, giving birth away from home, you know, and, and in, you know, there was no room for them in the end, laying her child in a manger, having a maniac king who's after him to kill him, you know, having to go to Egypt, you know, coming back from Egypt. Uh, before they even do that, the presentation of the temple, finding out that a sword of sorrow will pierce her heart, you know, having to basically like let him go into his public ministry at the wedding feast at Cana, you know, being on the outside as the crowds are there, you know, and not getting to just be, you know, it's not just me and Jesus anymore. Like every, she's, she's generously allowing, you know, like everybody else to be there too, you know, at the cross, not only is her son dying, and then it's like, you know, you know, son, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. You know, God bless him, the, the evangelist, St. John, wonderful. I'm named for him. He's no Jesus, right? I mean, he's still not perfect. Boanerges, you know, he and his brother James in the Gospel of Mark a couple of weeks ago are like, teacher, we, we, want, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Yeah, that's great. That's how you approach God. No. And yet, you know, she has to embrace him as her new son, as, as her son dies on the cross. You know, I mean, the sorrow she has to go through, I mean, God provides the grace that's necessary for the task, and to be the mother of God is no easy task. You know, it requires something special, a prevenient grace. God foreknew, you know, the death of his son, and, you know, by that death, you know, preserves Mary from, you know, the stain of original sin which is, as we talked about, I think it was last week, that the original sin is contracted, not committed. Mm -hmm. Well, he was able to keep her from being contracted. Why didn't he do it for all of us? Well, our first parents didn't contract it, and they sinned. You know, so like if he just kept, you know, original sin away from us, guess what? We would have probably done what Adam and Eve did. But Mary didn't. She was full of grace, full of love, totally in love with her son. And, you know, like God knows what she needs, gave her what she needed, you know, to, and she still had to submit her will. You know, she she still could have like committed it, but she didn't. She loved him, was full of grace, gave him her all. And as I said, like uh, Mother Amada Veritas said, like with us, we show up and we're like, okay, I'll give a little. But Mary's like, I'm here, I'll give you everything. You know, and she was able to do that because she was saved from the contraction of original sin. Yeah, and I think that's so important to recognize is that she still had to commit her will to it. Yeah, Eve was perfect too. She walked in the garden with yeah. God. She mm -hmm. had this perfect connection with God that we can't even fathom what they would be like. But Eve still turned away, mm -hmm. right? Mary, yeah, she was set up. She was, it even says, predestined to be the mother of God. But just like Eve, she, she could have freedom. said no. Yeah, she, she had freedom. She could have sinned. Yeah, maybe she was set up to be in a better spot not to sin. But that doesn't mean it was impossible. It was impossible for Jesus because he's God and sin and God contradict themselves. So it just doesn't work. But Mary's not that. She had that will. She had that opportunity to turn away from God, but she chose not to. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is really important for us to recognize and not just say, well, how are we supposed to be like Mary? Well, because she still could have fallen like you and I do. But she kept choosing God, and she trusted. I mean, even with that anxiety and the fifth joyful mystery at the finding in the temple, I mean, they kept looking, they kept going, they didn't give up, you know. And I just, I feel like that's it's kind of good because just the the onset, the temptation of anxiety itself is not a sin. It's what do you do with it? Don't just sit around and complain. Don't just sit there and be like, oh, everything is so hard. No, okay, yeah, we can. You know, your father and I have been looking for you anxiously. He kept looking. 
They were doing something about it. They cooperated with the grace. They kept going. They embraced their son. He comes, you know, he's there with them. And Mary, at the foot of the cross, she doesn't run away like the other 11 apostles, you know, besides St. John. You know, she was so brave. And I also heard that, you know, there used to be the Roman custom that they found out that one of the condemned on the cross, they found out one of their, their blood relatives was there, they'd crucify them too. So, I mean, like, she's putting her life on the line, and she's there. She's, like, you know, loving her son in the midst of, like, the most difficult of trials, and yet she continues on in that great love. And so jumping through a couple more doctrines before Do we finish up. So Mary's divine motherhood. So Jesus, when Jesus gives her mother to John the evangelist, right, the one whom he loves, mm -hmm. the disciple whom he loves, he, in, as a result, is giving his mother to us as well. We are disciples. We are loved by Jesus. So anytime you see that, I've heard that you can plug yourself in when it says the disciple whom Jesus loves because we are disciples whom Jesus loves. So he gave Mary to that disciple, thus giving his mother to us. So we take on this spirit. She takes on the spiritual mothership of all of us as well. Which, by the way, is just a quick tangent. I promise we'll be quick. No, it's fine. Um, I think it's a sign of St. John's humility, because I've been kind of like ragging on St. John. He could have put his own name in there, you know? Like, and, and for, for all of, you know, human history, like, and St. John was, you know, like, but I think to say the beloved disciple like that is a sign of humility, because he's not using his proper name. And like you said, he's allowing for other people to insert themselves in there. So I just feel like it's a beautiful sign of the humility of St. John, since he's my namesake. I was going to say, you were ragging on him, but then I you was. also had to elevate him and say, yeah. Well, he's pretty cool. He is pretty well, amazing. I mean, my name, Michael, who is like God. I know. He stood up against Satan. We won't go into that today, but no, we'll we, get to Revelation. We eventually. both have some pretty awesome patrons. We, we do, indeed. Um, then Mary's virginity. So, final point is that Mary had a uh, was a virgin. She, as Father was virgin. talking earlier, gave that devotion of virginity to, to God, many theologians would say. And so that conception of Jesus was... A virginal conception, right? She did not know man. The Holy Spirit came upon her, so she maintained that virginity. And ultimately, that's very appropriate because she's maintaining that, that purity of the gift of self, right? She did not give herself to another man because she's giving herself totally, to, totally God. to God. And then another kind of gift from God to Mary is that she maintained her virginity. She was a perpetual virgin, so even after bearing it, um, Jesus and having Jesus, she maintained that virginity almost as a gift from God to her. So she gave her virginity to God and God said, I'm going to take this, give you a son, but I'm going to preserve and maintain your virginity. I, and I think, I don't think it says it here, but very much like the Immaculate Conception, that it's proper to her role as the mother of God. And then in 500... I was going to say, I wanted to conclude with 500. It's oh, so good. Well, you, I want you to read it. Okay. Uh, Catechism's Catholic Church, paragraph 500. Against this doctrine, the doctrine of uh, Mary ever virgin, the objection is sometimes raised that the Bible mentions brothers and sisters of Jesus. The church has... Do you want to silence that real quick? Yeah, you I do. You keep reading, and I'll just go silence that. Sorry. This is the first time the phone was rang in like seven times. That's and pretty I good. broke the mic. It's all right. I think if you just click do not disturb or silence. Okay, it's done. All right, starting over. Sorry about that. Brief intermission. 500. Against this doctrine, the objection is sometimes raised that the Bible mentions brothers and sisters of Jesus. The church has always understood these passages as not referring to other children of the Virgin Mary. In fact, James and Joseph, 
brothers of Jesus, are the sons of another Mary, a disciple of Christ, whom St. Matthew significantly calls the other Mary. There are also close relations of Jesus according to an Old Testament expression. I've always heard that when you hear about brothers, they don't have a term for cousins or close relatives in the Old Testament. So anytime you hear brothers and sisters, that could equate to cousins. Mm -hmm. I know so many people that say, well, wait, brothers and sisters, how can Mary be ever virgin? Okay, we got to go back and understand the translation. We got to go back and understand the, the situation. Jesus even recognized people as his brothers and sisters, mm -hmm. right? Who is my brother? Who is my sister, right? So he is recognizing that, but also I always ask the question of, well, wait a second. If some another one person was born of Mary and she was immaculately conceived, like, is original sin passed down? Obviously, it's Jesus. Jesus makes sense because he's the son of God. He's not going to receive original sin. Not that Mary has it anyways to pass it down. But when you start talking about a somebody with original sin, somebody without original sin, then you get into a really theological, hairy situation. And guess what? We don't have to. We don't have to worry about that because yeah. God did not set that up for and us. And even, I think the catechism even references the fact that it talks about those same people. And it's like, and they were the son of the other Mary. Yes. Things like that. So, you know, it's all laid out. It's all there. And um, I even heard one of my uh, priest friends who's from Africa, when he goes back, like I guess a lot of his nieces and nephews, they all call him dad. Like father. Like that's just, that's their language and the way that it works. So you've got some, some language type things. But yeah, I mean, God protected her, gave her that gift. And I know in our, our world that is so sex obsessed, it's like, oh, I was virginity a gift. I will tell you, like, I do love my celibacy. And the more that it's, you know, it's given, it's like it's a way of being able to totally give yourself. Um, isn't that in some way saying, like, I don't like marriage? No, it's, a, it's, it's this beautiful complementarity. And God gives so many different types of gifts. And, you know, in my father's garden, there are many different types of flowers, and he loves them all, you know, just like there's many different colors out there. And if everything was blue, I probably wouldn't like blue as much as I do. That happens to be my favorite color because it reminds me of our Blessed Mother. And she is one of the special flowers in the garden. Thank God that she is there to help us to love her son. Fantastic. That is a good way to stop as the phone keeps ringing. Yeah, as the Sorry. phone keeps ringing, is that, a, is that an emergency It is. Call? I'm going to get it in a second. Okay. So. Well, we went 15 minutes over. So no reason to keep talking. If we're going to go over, it's time to, like, to do it with the incarnation and talking about our Blessed Mother. I don't think we do better than that. Probably not. Yeah, it's pretty great. So next time, last Thursday would be right before Christmas. We're going to bump it up a week again. So I don't know the date off the top of my head. But right. second to last Thursday next month, tune in. So basically same time, same place next month. It's going to be great. Go ahead and close with prayer. Yeah, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full, full of grace, grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary. Pray for us. Saint Joseph. Pray for us. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. And Almighty God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God.